chapter 11. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Jesus names a common human experience. He describes it with these words, weary and heavy laden. Or we could translate it a little more simply, weary and burdened. Depending on your background, maybe you're very aware that Jesus Christ cares about human sin. But perhaps you're more surprised to hear the words of Jesus himself demonstrating that he also cares about human suffering. Or I can say that more specifically. He cares about people like you and me in the midst of our suffering. He cares about us not after or not only after we were weary and not only after we were heavy laden. But he cares enough to speak to us in the midst of feeling weary and heavy laden. And in the midst of our weariness and our burdens, he invites us to draw near. I bet you feel that experience right away, weary, heavy laden. And to talk about that experience, Jesus uses a word picture in our passage today. It's a picture of a yoke, not Y-O-L-K, but Y-O-K-E. That's an old-fashioned farm tool that most of us have never dealt with in our lives, I know. But maybe if you've been to a restaurant that tries to create a farm kind of atmosphere maybe like a Cracker Barrel or something like that. Maybe you've at least seen a yoke hanging on a wall at a restaurant or something like that. It's a beam of wood with two metal hooks or two metal collars underneath that beam of wood. And those two metal collars are there to go around the necks of two beasts of burden, if you will. Maybe two horses or two oxen or something like that so that they can pull together. So that they can toil together. And that agricultural illustration of the yoke, that bar or that beam of wood with two collars underneath it, that agricultural illustration of the yoke probably hits at two levels. First of all, the word picture of the yoke reminds us that we often are burdened in this life. We often feel a weight that we carry on our shoulders. There are responsibilities that weigh on us. There's baggage that we pull behind us as we toil. 
But secondly, that word picture of the yoke not only reminds us that we are often burdened in life. Beyond that, that word picture of the yoke, it also reminds us of something that maybe we overlook when we hear these verses, if you've heard them before. Jesus' illustration of the yoke also reminds us that we are often burdened specifically by being yoked to something else that wants to pull in a different direction. Because life is burdensome, we all look for other people to share the load. We all look for other teachers to make the load lighter in our lives. But too often the ideas and the teachers and the people that we yoke ourselves up with instead of having our burdens, they end up multiplying our burdens. And I don't just mean the way that a drug dealer might promise to minimize your burdens in life only to end up multiplying them. No respectable religious people can also have this effect on us of multiplying our burdens instead of minimizing them. Here in the context of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus, as Josh Anderson showed us back before Thanksgiving, if you remember all that way back when we were looking at this passage before, Jesus was addressing the confused expectations of the disciples of John the Baptist. And then Jesus began speaking to those who had heard not only his teachings, but also the teachings of other religious leaders. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, Jesus will use the very same kind of language that he uses here in Matthew chapter 11. And in Matthew chapter 23, he will use that language to speak of certain highly respected religious teachers who, quote, tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. You see, it's not only the burdensomeness of life and toil itself that's difficult to handle. It's also the burden of finding ourselves yoked together with other teachers and other ideas and other expectations and other laws and other judgments that instead of minimizing our burdens, only multiply them. Maybe a couple of examples will help. Being a mom or a dad is really hard work. Amen? There's no way around it. It's just plain and simply hard work. But then when you add everybody else's expectations into your parenting, what happens? When you're trying to prove yourself to everybody else and when you're trying to meet everybody else's expectations for your parenting, what happens at that point? Parenting becomes not only hard work, it becomes downright exhausting. Being single in a world that caters to couples is challenging enough, right? But then the careless words of a married person can make it feel twice as wearisome. 
being a middle schooler or a high school student is hard enough, right? There's enough challenges to deal with, but you know what makes it wearying to be a middle schooler or a high schooler? It's trying to prove yourself to everybody else. It's trying to live up to everybody else's expectations. It's trying to do everything that you think everybody else demands of you. That's what makes it not just hard to be a middle schooler or a high schooler. That's what makes it downright wearying. Making it to church on Sunday or making it to a time for fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, that's hard enough, right? But then trying to show up in a way that that makes you look like you think others expect you to look today, that's downright wearisome, right? Or think of burnout at work. Every job I know has aspects of it that can be tiring. There's a big difference between work that is tiring and work that leaves you at the end of the day just downright weary. And when I've found myself close to feeling burnt out, weary to the bone... That's when my wife Katie or my friend Josh Anderson or others in my life have helped me to slow down enough to examine why do I feel weary right now. And Usually the reason that I feel downright weary is not just because of the work itself, but because of a slavish devotion to the expectations of others. Or a slavish devotion to a desire to impress others through my work. Or a slavish devotion to what I think I should be able to accomplish. You see, it's not just the work itself that's tiring. It's trying to prove ourselves to our own expectations and to the expectations of others around us. That's what's downright exhausting and wearying, right? Maybe you can think for a moment about how media and podcasts affect you. We listen to podcasts and we find ourselves trying to prove ourselves, not just to the expectations of God's word, but now trying to prove ourselves to the expectations of a holier than thou podcast host. That becomes exhausting, right? We listen to a podcast and now we're trying to prove ourselves to the expectations of a tougher than thou podcast host. We listen to a podcast and now we're trying to prove ourselves to the expectations of a more insightful than thou podcast host. Or we're trying to prove ourselves to a more conservative than thou podcast host. Or we're trying to prove ourselves to a more progressive than thou podcast host. And it becomes downright exhausting. You see, life in this world has plenty of exhaustion in its own toil and its own labors. But then when we're trying to prove ourselves to all the other judges, when we're trying to prove ourselves and satisfy all of these lowercase l laws that get added to the teaching of God's word, 
when we're trying to prove ourselves to everybody else's expectations, when we're trying to prove ourselves to the inner critic, that's when life is not just tiring, but downright wearying. That's when we find ourselves more and more weary. More and more burdened. And what I'm trying to describe is this. There's a kind of tiredness that goes with life in this fallen world. That's one thing. But there's another kind of weariness that comes from trying to prove yourself to all the other judges, to all the other lowercase l laws and expectations around us. There's a labor of having a yoke on your shoulders, but there's also the weariness of being yoked to other teachers, to other judges, to other laws that are trying to pull us in different directions. That's a problem. We live in a world that is absolutely full of people as a result who are not just tired, but weary and heavy laden. Weary and burdened, not only out there in the world, but even, or sometimes even especially, in groups of people who think of themselves as religious. We live in a world full of people who are weary and heavy laden. That's the problem that Jesus names here in Matthew chapter 11, 28. But Jesus not only names a problem of a common human experience, thankfully, he also illuminates for us a path forward. And what is that path? Look with me again, if you would, at Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus says. I want to pause there before we go too much further because we've already heard something quite significant here. To a world full of people who are weary and heavy laden, who have labored and found ourselves weary, under the yoke of burden and through the yoke of being tied together with other teachers who are pulling in various directions, to a world full of people who have labored and ended up weary and burdened and heavy laden, Jesus' path forward is this. Jesus says, come to me. Do you hear right away What sets Jesus apart from every other religious teacher in every other significant religion in the world? Jesus does not just say, come to my set of morals and that's where you'll find rest. 
Jesus doesn't just say, come to my worldview and it will give you rest. Jesus does not just say, come and learn to think like me and you'll be fine. Or come and learn to follow the rules that I give you and that's where you'll find rest. No, Jesus says, come to me. Which, by the way, not only sets him apart from every religious teacher and every other religion in the world, it also sets him apart from every other significant prophet in Scripture. Jeremiah says something very similar to what we read here in Matthew eleven twenty eight. This idea of coming to the Lord and finding rest in His ways, it's not a new idea. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 16. Come back to the ancient past. Come back to the Lord. Jeremiah had appealed to those who would listen. But do you hear the difference between Jeremiah's prophetic appeal and Jesus' invitation? Jesus isn't just saying, come back to the Lord. Jesus sets himself up in the place of the Lord. And he doesn't just say come to God. He says come to me. As if there's no way. Jesus says come to me. As if there is no real remedy for the laborious exhaustion and weariness that we feel in our souls apart from knowing Him. And then He adds to that, come to me. He says, come to me. And then He says... Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. To a world of people like you and me who have found ourselves exhausted and weary to the bone through the pathway of labor in life and through the pathway of being tugged this way and that by being yoked up with different ideas and different teachers, Jesus says, Come to me and get yoked up with me. And that's where you'll find a restful kind of life. That's where you'll find a different kind of labor. A different kind of pulling. A different kind of working. A different kind of living your life on purpose. You see... When Jesus says, come to me and take my yoke and learn from me, we notice that there's no such thing as truly coming to Jesus without Christian discipleship. But we also notice that it's not really Christian discipleship if it's just laborious, like all the other religions in the world. Jesus invites us into something different. It's not just coming to Him and nothing left for us to do with the rest of our lives. 
Neither is it laboring and toiling as if all we have is law that we are bound to. There's a new way of living that Jesus invites people like us who have labored and found ourselves weary. He invites us to take His yoke, to get yoked up with Him, and then to learn from Him. That's the path forward that Jesus invites us into. But what does Jesus offer to incentivize us or to motivate us to get in the yoke with Him? He offers to us this precious threefold assurance that we read in verses 29 and 30. Before we look at that threefold assurance, I just want to pause for a moment and say, when I say that this threefold assurance is precious, I'm not just throwing the word precious in there for rhetorical effect. I want to tell you, this is my own experience. That this assurance of Jesus Christ has proven reviving and refreshing and energizing and precious for me in my own seasons of weariness and exhaustion. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was flipping through a book that I hadn't picked up in some time, and I found a little piece of paper that I hadn't seen in a number of years. It's a piece of paper that I wrote myself about ten years ago when I was going through one of the hardest, most exhausting, most wearying seasons in my own life. And I'm not blaming anybody else for it, but it was one of those seasons when there was criticism from every side. You know? Everybody had some different criticism of me. And you end up, when you're getting criticized from every direction, you feel like you're in, as someone else has described it, you feel like you're in one of those uh, carnival mirror houses at the fair. And one of those carnival mirrors says, you're too tall. And the next carnival mirror says, you're too short. And the next carnival mirror says, your head is too big. And the mirror after that says, your head is too small. And the mirror after that says, you lean too far right. And the one after that says, you lean too far left. And I was going through one of those seasons when it felt like everybody I talked to had a different criticism, a different read of me. And as others have observed, the danger in that kind of season is that you lose track of what mirror tells you who you actually are. You lose track of what actually tells you the truth. And in my experience, I found myself in that season weary, worn out, burnt out. I woke up every day feeling like I had failed everybody I knew in my life. I felt like a failure to my wife. I felt like a failure to my kids. I felt like a failure to my friends in church. I felt like a failure to my friends outside of the church. I felt like a failure to my family. 
It was a season when life was wearying for me. But I think it was about this time of year and I was just going through a Bible reading plan that had me reading through the book of Matthew. And I began to notice that there were words of Jesus that spoke life into my weary soul. And so I started keeping a list for myself. I just wrote at the top, assurances from Jesus in Matthew's gospel. And I started just copying out the assurances of Jesus that I found here in the pages of Scripture. Including these words found here in Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30. And what I'm saying to you is these words for me were not just things that can be affirmed as true in a book of theology. These things for me became a lifeline. They became oxygen that I needed in order to keep on going. They became nourishment and energy and strength for me from God himself as he spoke to me through these words. And so as I invite you today to consider with me these, this threefold assurance of Jesus, I want to begin with this preface to say this really is a precious threefold assurance of Jesus. I'm not going to preach on it forever. And in fact, there's so much more that could be said when we're done with it. Many of you know there's a book called Gentle and Lowly written by Dane Ortland on these verses. I thought about that book this week and I thought maybe I'll pick it up and look for quotes. And then I thought that will make my sermon an hour and a half long. So I decided simply not to pick the book up and let you go and find treasures that may be discovered there instead on your own. But let me show you three aspects of this precious threefold assurance that is here in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. The first part of the assurance is this. Jesus assures us of who he is. And he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. What is our motivation for yoking ourselves up with him? And learning from Him what it is to live this life. The first part of the motivation, the first assurance is this. He is gentle and lowly or humble. Not just in a few of His actions every once in a while, but at the very core of His character. This is who He is. Sometimes it's hard to believe that Jesus is gentle and lowly and humble in heart. Sometimes it's hard to believe that because in Christians or especially in Christian leaders that we've known in our lives, we've seen just the opposite of gentleness and lowliness and humility of heart. 
that makes it hard for us to trust that Jesus really is trustworthy. A couple weeks ago, Katie and I had the privilege of sitting down and talking with a husband and a wife. Uh, never been involved in this congregation here. We had the privilege of sitting down with a husband and a wife who have been through some really, really brutal church hurt, if you will. And I'm not using that phrase flippantly as we have listened to their story. We've cried with them. We've wept with them. We felt outrage. You know that feeling when someone is telling you, this is what my pastors said to me. And your heart just starts beating with a kind of anger. And you say, that is not how Jesus treats his people. We listened and we listened and we cried and we grieved. And I didn't know where the story was going. And so I knew that they were no longer participating in that church where the elders had badly misrepresented the heart of Jesus Christ. But I kind of found myself wondering, are they connected with any congregation at all at this point? And so I kind of gently asked the question, have you been going to church? No judgment, just asking. And they said, yeah. In fact, they had a smile on their face as they talked about participating in another congregation. And Katie kind of said with a, just kind of an honest reaction, it's really hard, I bet. It's really hard to continue being involved in church after you've been hurt by church leaders so badly. And the quick response of the wife was something like this. Yeah, but it's Jesus, she said with a smile. In other words, even after all she's been through, she's able to distinguish that wasn't right. That was wrong. Jesus will judge them. But it's Jesus that keeps me connected with the Lord. And it's Jesus himself who keeps me connected with his church. It's not about the experiences I've had in the past. And trust me, I'm not meaning to be dismissive about those experiences for a minute. But at the end of the day, it's not about that. It's about Jesus. And let me say to you, if you've experienced hurt from people who said they were representing the heart of Jesus Christ, let me simply, first of all, just grieve with you and recognize that's not right. And Jesus will judge those who have taken his name in vain. But let me also tell you, that's not who Jesus is. And when I tell you that's not who Jesus is, that's not based on my opinions. Like I just have this imagination of what Jesus must be like. And that's my imaginary picture of Jesus. He's nice. 
is based on this. Is based on the authority of His words. Is based on His revelation of Himself. When Jesus sits down and says, listen to me, do you want to know what I'm like? Have you ever done one of those resume things where they say, describe yourself in two or three words? Here's Jesus' way of describing himself in two or three words. Not just to impress an employer, but as the one who speaks the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Here's what Jesus says to describe himself in two or three words. Hear this, those of you who feel like you have been laboring and heavy laden. Hear this, those of you who are weary And especially those of you who have been hurt by others who have taken the Lord's name in vain. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he reveals what he's like, he says, here are the first two or three words that work. I am gentle and humble in the very core of who I am in my heart. Jesus gives us this first part of his assurance for why we can trust him, why we can get yoked up with him, why we can learn from him by showing us who he is. He is gentle and lowly in heart. There's a second assurance or a second part of this threefold assurance here. Jesus says, as you come to me, And as you learn from me, you will find rest for your souls. Now, ultimately, the ultimate experience of rest and refreshment and renewal that we discover in Jesus Christ, ultimately... We'll have to wait until the Lord returns to experience it in its ultimate fullness. Hebrews chapter 4, interestingly, is emphatic in saying that there is still a further rest to look forward to, even for those of us who have been following the Lord Jesus Christ. There is still more rest to look forward to. But even though I need to be honest with you and tell you the ultimate experience of that rest is waiting for that day when he returns and when the Lord makes all things new. I'm happy to tell you that Jesus doesn't think there's only rest to be found in that day. If the ultimate rest is going to be found, then there is nonetheless a genuine rest. A genuine experience of relief. A genuine experience of renewal that we are meant to experience. Not because we've drummed it up in our own hearts. But because Jesus has the authority to reveal to those to whom he chooses the Father. And because Jesus himself is gentle and lowly in heart. And so when we come to him and we get inside the yoke with him, 
What we discover is not more of the same old, same old, same old. This is just labor, 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 weariness, 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 more and more laws, more and more judgment, more and more demands with less and less ability to keep them. When we get yoked up with Jesus, what we find is not that the weariness is multiplied, but we discover that Jesus himself is pulling alongside us. More than that, we discover that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have all the righteousness we will ever need to stand declared righteous in the presence of God. And we will discover that day by day we're left not only with a list of rules that we're bound to miserably fail, but we find that day by day it is Christ alive inside of me. And as a believer, it is Christ alive inside of you. Carrying you along. Being transformed from one degree of glory to another. As the Apostle Paul would describe it. And in that. In that experience of being in the yoke with Jesus. We find that instead of labor and weariness. Just multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. Jesus assures us. There's rest that we can enter into today. There's rest that you can experience as you go back to Him afresh and experience His gentleness and experience His kindness and experience His love. There's something restful and refreshing in that again today. But I need to hurry on to the third aspect of this assurance. Jesus says... Come to me, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And then this, for my yoke is easy. I want to suggest to you that so much of the Christian life is wonderfully illuminated in those few words. My yoke is easy. Later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul will talk about the relationship between being saved by grace and being called to live on purpose for the glory of God with our lives. These aren't two separate plans. These are two things that are unified in the glorious redemption that God has planned for us who are united with Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And then very next verse We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
How do these things hold together? What I want to suggest to you is that when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, in a certain kind of way, he's giving us a word picture that will be clarified for us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Listen, there is an experience of by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not your own doing. That's when Jesus says, my yoke is easy. Is getting in the yoke with Him. He'll take you where you need to go even if you're sludging in the mud all the way there alongside Him. My yoke is easy, He says. But there's also in the wonderful grace of God not only an invitation to come to God not based on our own working but there are also good works prepared in advance for us to do. And that's where Jesus says, learn from me. My yoke is easy. My yoke, getting yoked up with me and learning to live in alignment with the kingdom of God, learning to live in alignment with all that I've called you to. It's easy. Not meaning it's effortless or it's painless. As in the words of Jesus and the reality of Christian history show us, it's not painless. It's not always effortless. But Jesus, who has accomplished it all for us, invites us to get into the yoke with him. And he says, my yoke is easy. By grace, you've been saved and by grace, there are good works prepared in advance for you to do. Not your own doing. The gift of God. The gift of Christ alive inside of you. Generations ago, St. Augustine, the North African bishop, was wrestling with these things. And, and he said to God in a prayer famously, Lord, command what you will, but grant whatever you command. Jesus, call me to go in whatever direction you want to call me in, but you're going to have to give me the power to get moving in that direction because I can't do it on my own. And to all who have cried out like Augustine, command what you will, but you better provide what you've commanded. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. Or there's the old English Christian rhyme. Run, John, run, the law demands. It gives thee neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids thee fly and then gives thee wings. My yoke is easy, Jesus says. It's not finding that Jesus' yoke is easy. Coming to Him and learning from Him is not a matter of just going and doing whatever you feel like with the rest of your life. Jesus tells us there's a way of the kingdom. And that way of the kingdom sounds like this. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
There is a way of the kingdom. It's not going and living however you want. But when Jesus calls us to get into the yoke with him and to learn his ways, he also gives us this sweet assurance. I am gentle and lowly to the very core of who I am. And as you come to me and learn my ways, you will find rest for your souls. Because my yoke, getting yoked up with me, is not like getting yoked up with any other religion or any other teachers. My yoke is easy, Jesus says. And my burden is happily light. You see here is what Jesus is inviting us into. To all who are weary and heavy laden, come to Jesus. In His gentleness, you can find that restful purpose in life that you've only ever dreamed of. And if we doubt, if we doubt Jesus' invitation and his assurances, where would we look? Perhaps a little further down the road in the story to where Jesus Christ in love gave himself for us. And then poured out his spirit to continue living within us. Come to me, our crucified, risen, and reigning Lord Jesus Christ still says today to those who labor and find themselves heavy laden. At this time, I'd like to invite those who are going to serve the elements of the Lord's Supper to come forward.